That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Cannon Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte. And Bones, the Orioles dropped the first two games of the ALDS here at home. They're now down in Texas looking to stay alive in game three. Yep, do or die. Do or die. Winner go home. Yeah, it was a tough game two for the Orioles. That's where we'll start. Game one, pitching wasn't great. Or Excuse me, game one, the pitching was great. The Until offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Game two, pitching didn't deliver. And the offense was excellent. It starts with Grayson Rodriguez. Said the plan in game two was to throw a lot of fastballs, which he did. We know that Grayson Rodriguez early on in the season, part of the reason that he went down to AAA Norfolk to try to reset, get some work in there, was because he wasn't happy with his fastball location. Fastball location in game two. He threw about 30, 75% four-seam fastballs in game two. Fastball location wasn't good. It, it was a lot of what we saw early on in the season from Grayson Rodriguez where he wasn't able to locate the fastball. And if you're not able to locate the fastball, other things just aren't working off of that. To me, it looked like he tried to throw all of... Like he just tried to overthrow. Um, first playoff game... Uh, in his career, he came up thinking, all right, I'm going to throw 200 miles per hour and just blow these batters away. Uh, and we've seen that plenty of times with young pitchers in the playoffs. Uh, and, of course, when uh, you go for velocity, sometimes accuracy takes a hit. Uh, and I think that might have been what we saw for Grayson Rodriguez as he was touching 100 in that first inning. Though he does touch 100 relatively. Yeah, not you know, completely out of the Run of the mill. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he just wasn't as accurate as he's been in the past few months, and that's what came to bite him in the end. He did have that one uh, very close call where it looked like a, a strikeout, but instead was called a ball. Yeah, it was a strike. It Devin was a Carter. strike. The ball was fully was. in the strike zone. It was a strike. I'm yeah. not saying it wasn't. It was. Yeah. Um, do you think that made a difference? Do you think if he gets that call, things are different? I feel like it's incredibly difficult to it's, say. It's one of those things where, you know, if he strikes out Evan Carter, it gets out of the inning maybe things are different but you know goes nuts. you never know yeah. i mean grayson was still able to get out of the first inning without damage but he ultimately goes an inning and two-thirds six hits five earned four walks two strikeouts whether or not that call to evan carter goes grace i don't even want to say go grayson's way it was blatantly a strike and yeah, it was called it was a bad ball. call it's a terrible call he still walked three other batters in that yes. game, which is very uncharacteristic for Grayson Rodriguez since coming back from AAA Norfolk. Again, one of the reasons that he was sent down to AAA to work on things was because he kept walking batters. This was the first start since Grayson Rodriguez has been back up in the majors where he looked like the first few weeks of the season, Agreed. Grayson Rodriguez, Yeah, which is obviously really unfortunate timing. And again, the Texas Rangers have a very good lineup. So you would understand why Grayson would struggle a little bit against a lineup like that. But we just hadn't seen these kind of command issues come up for Grayson since he had been called back up because he was pitching like one of the better pitchers in the American League. And to get that start out of Grayson Rodriguez, it, it's tough. Adley Rutschman said after the game, 
that he didn't even think Grayson had, you know, bad stuff. It was just it, he wasn't executing command-wise the way that he wanted to. Yes, and I think that's what comes to bite you uh, most often in those situations is you got to get your command on point, um, especially in big spots and big starts, uh, and his just wasn't in that game. Now, um, where you were going with that was that it was a juxtaposition of the first game where the bats showed up in yep. game two, but didn't in game one. I mean, how about Aaron Hicks, a five RBI game? Yeah. The guy was fantastic in that game, delivered early on, hit that homer late that in the ninth that didn't really uh, cut it down to three, but didn't make too much of a difference. Uh, but eight runs, if you told me they were going to score eight runs in that game, I would have told you, of course they won. And again, this is the same conversation that we had Just flipped. after game one. Where we said, if you told me that the Orioles would hold the Texas Rangers to three runs, you're probably winning that baseball game. Yep. Same thing. If you're telling me that the Orioles get to Jordan Montgomery, who goes four innings, nine hits, five runs, four earned, that's incredible against Jordan Montgomery. We talked about going into that game how great Montgomery had been for the Texas Rangers. He was a huge trade deadline acquisition, and he looked awesome against the Rays in the first wildcard series this year. So to be able to get to Jordan Montgomery, to knock him out after just four innings of work and get five runs off of him, that's outstanding yes. from the Orioles. He didn't have a good start. No. And, you know, they, I mean, objectively, they got to him. They did. Um, and they got to the bullpen. They saw the bullpen arms that they wanted to see. The amount of guys that came out of the pen was, was a pretty solid number. Um, and it just didn't work out for him. But, you know... As we said, after game one, that's baseball sometimes. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the, the hitting was outstanding. Gunnar Henderson goes two for four with a homer. Austin Hayes with three hits and a double. Aaron Hicks, of course, as you mentioned, the five RBI day. He had that two RBI single in the first, three-run homer in the ninth to make it a closer game there. Jorge Mateo, four for four with a pair of doubles. Brandon Hyde said he was hoping that Mateo would be a spark plug at the bottom of the lineup, and he was. And you can't look at this lineup and point any fingers, really. I mean, eight runs, 14 hits, that should win you a lot of baseball games, as you mentioned, but it's hard to win a game when your starting pitcher only gives you an inning in two-thirds. Because yeah, the Orioles bullpen at this point, you have to throw Danny Coulomb, Brian Baker, Jacob Webb, Jack Flaherty, Tyler Wells, CNL Perez, Yenier Cano in that game. Yeah, burned a lot of arms. Thank goodness for an off day, because yes. the Orioles bullpen... Should be relatively fresh today, but the bullpen struggled as well. It was not just Grayson Rodriguez. Brian Baker with three earned runs. He only gets through a third of an inning. Jacob Webb, of course, gives up the grand slam to Mitch Garver. Jacob Webb is is probably going to get some flack for this playoffs, but Jacob Webb really has not pitched poorly. Yeah, he gave up two homers, and neither of them were bad pitches. And neither of them were bad pitches. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I suppose it's one of those things where, you know, it obviously wasn't a good pitch because it was a home run, but you look at them. But it wasn't like a In mistake. the locations. And like, the, no. Sometimes you can see a pitch that was given up for a homer and you say, okay, he didn't mean to throw that there, like a hanging slider or something. Yeah. Both those pitches, the first one was a great fastball on the inside part of the plate that Josh Young just took to right field. I mean, yeah. incredibly difficult. And then the second one was up in the zone and Garver just turned on it. Yeah. So what can you do if you're Jacob Webb? Yeah, Jacob Webb. Gives up that grand slam. Jack Flaherty looks pretty solid. Two innings of work, one earned run. Yenier Cano gives up a run in the ninth. But again, <clears throat> a, a, a very tall task for the bullpen 
if you have to make up seven and a third. Yes. It's a lot of bullpen work. Um, it's tough. Uh, and there's when you put your bullpen in a situation like that, like you said, I mean, it's just a tough hole to climb out of, uh, and they evidently could not. Uh, but Mean Dean on the bump, I'm pumped. Yeah. Mean Dean on the bump. Let's talk about game three. We'll start with the pitching matchup and Dean Kramer. Do want to acknowledge off the bat that this is a, a tough start here for Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer has uh, Israeli citizenship. He is a dual citizen. He has a lot of family in Israel. Our thoughts are with Dean Kramer and his family during this difficult time for him. He said yesterday during his press conference that you know he felt very grateful for Brandon Hyde, who had a long conversation with Dean to make sure that he was doing okay, make sure that he felt okay to start game three. He said all of his teammates have been checking in on him, seeing how he and his family are doing. So our thoughts are with, with Dean Kramer Absolutely. there in a difficult situation. But at the same time, Dean Kramer also acknowledging that it's, it's going to be nice to kind of just be able to pitch. He did say it would be, of course, in the back of his mind. How could it not be? Completely yeah. understandable for Dean Kramer. But he did seem genuinely like he was looking forward to just kind of pitching to getting to his routine to being able to do his thing and that's what we're going to talk about so dean kramer on the mound tonight 412 vra on the season but not really reflective of how well he has pitched down the stretch has a 309 era in his last 15 games and for kramer as well he started the game where the orioles clinched a playoff spot and he started the game where the orioles clinched the division yeah, so, I was going to bring that up too. It, it, there is one guy who has proved this year that he can pitch well in big moments. It's probably Dean Kramer. Yeah. Um, a guy who, I mean, this is the biggest start of his life. Oh, yeah. But he's made big starts, like you mentioned. And, and in those games, he was really, really good. Uh, in the game against Tampa Bay to clinch the playoffs, five innings, one earned. And the game against the Red Sox to clinch the division, five and a third, no earned. Uh, so he, he pitched well in both of those spots. Uh, so, I mean, and like you mentioned, last 15 games in ERA, just around three. Last five games, just September, it's about a 3-5. He's pitched really well in the second half of the season. Um, so, like you said, don't let that four-plus ERA uh, fool you. The guy has been very, very good uh, as of late. So, Dean, I don't hate this selection at all whatsoever. Uh, it was kind of between him and Kyle Gibson, but once I saw Kyle Gibson in the bullpen um, Monday night or Sunday night, I didn't really think that was going to happen. Yeah, Kyle Gibson was an emergency option. Brandon yeah. Hyde said that Yanir Cano was going to pitch the 10th, and then if the Orioles got to the 11th, then Kyle Gibson was going to be the guy because you had used pretty much all of your bullpen arms that were available yep. at that point. But yeah, I think Dean Kramer was the very logical choice. I mean, Kyle Gibson, again, has given you some quality starts and entirely possible that Kyle Gibson is your starter for game four of this series. Hopefully it gets to a game four, but I think Dean Kramer, the right choice here, as you mentioned. And Kramer as a pitcher isn't, he's not Kyle Bradish, but he kind of gives you a similar profile to Kyle Bradish, at least much more similar to Bradish than he is to Rodriguez. Yes. So if you are looking at how Bradish and Rodriguez fared, I tend to think that Dean Kramer is going to pitch to this Rangers lineup more similar, similarly to how Bradish. Kyle Bradish did 
rather than Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah. It, Dean Kramer's not giving you 98. Similar repertoire to Bradish. Doesn't have an right. incredibly overpowering fastball. Works in the off-speed stuff. More traditional repertoire. Um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and we saw that be effective until around the fourth, fifth inning for Bradish. Uh, so hopefully Dean will have success in this game. And the Orioles, too, as a whole, you know, you're down 2-0 in a best-of-five series. Yes. Obviously, that is a difficult place to be in. But the Orioles have shown all season long that they are capable of coming back from tough spots. They have done it on a game-to-game -game basis, and they have done it on a season level as well. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been swept since May 13th of 2022 yep. on a road series against the Tigers. And obviously, this would be a really unfortunate time to break that streak, but I feel pretty confident in the fact that this team knows how to bounce back. And that's not a streak where, you know, they've won every series since May 13th, but you aren't getting swept, which tells me that even if the Orioles go down to, well, we've seen it happen this year in big series down the stretch. The Orioles went down 2-0 in a four-game series against Tampa Bay, came back and won the latter two games of that series, one of which clinched the playoff berth, and those two games were both huge because it helped the Orioles clinch the division. Down the stretch, when the Orioles were trying to clinch the division, they dropped the first two games of a four-game series in Cleveland, came back, won the next two games. True. I'm pretty confident the, that the Orioles can come back. And they have done it all year. Again, the Orioles have won three or more games in a row 16 times this season. That's a lot of times. It's a lot of times. They also have more road wins than anybody else in the league this they year. They do. Uh, so hopefully that counters in. But to your point, which I really liked about uh, those series in which they came back, it always seemed that when they faltered this year, they reminded you a couple days later who they were. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, we had a couple bad games, but we're still the best team in the AL. Yeah. Uh, and we have this, that, and the other thing that are going to show you why. Um, so I think you're totally right uh, that you should be looking for an Orioles win today because they're a bounce-back team. They have been all year, uh, and they really they let up for nobody. And the lineup, if you were looking for things to get shaken up a little bit, things will be shaken up today. First More than likely, it's the first righty that you are facing in this series in Nathan Evaldi. Look, Nathan Avaldi is a very good pitcher. He is a very good playoff starting pitcher. Has a career 290 ERA in the postseason. Looked awesome against the Rays in the wild card series, but Jordan Montgomery did too. We'll get to see the Orioles' right-handed lineup in this series. Well, it'll be a left-handed lineup for the Orioles against a right-handed pitcher. Yes. Might see Gunnar Henderson get bumped up to the leadoff spot. We're going to see Ryan O'Hearn in this lineup more than likely. I'm excited to see what the Orioles can do finally against a right-handed starting pitcher in this series. We know that Anthony Santander has more power from the left side of the plate than he does from the right side of the plate. Adley Rutschman has been a lot better batting right-handed this year, but probably still has some more pop from the left also, side of the plate I feel as well. Like probably more comfortability for the switch hitters. Yes. Just a thing of you hit from the left side of the plate so much more often than you do from the right. I feel like there's a level of comfortability that comes into play there for guys like Adley and, and uh, Santander. I think Anthony Santander from the left side of the plate gives you a boost. I think Ryan O'Hearn in the lineup gives you a boost. And if there's one guy in this lineup that you would love to get going at the bottom of the order, it's Cedric Mullins. Ceddy, yeah, man. Cedric Mullins has been 
pretty clearly batting frustrated yes. for the last few weeks of the season and into the first two games of the ALDS. You would really love to see Cedric Mullins in a righty-lefty matchup get going against Nathan Evaldi. Yeah, and they're going to have to battle against Evaldi because yeah. this guy, he's used to the pressure. He's pitched incredibly well in higher leverage situations than this one uh, in the playoffs. Again, with the Red Sox, he was an animal in yep. the playoffs. In the World Series, he has a 1-1-3 ERA in three appearances, one of which was a six-inning start where he gave up just two earned. Uh, so this guy, you know, he, he handles pressure incredibly well. So for this offense to find success tonight, they're going to have to battle, uh, which is something they absolutely can do. And I trust the Orioles lineup against a right-hander to be able to put up runs on the board against anybody who's on the mound. Because you're going to have Gunner at the top of the lineup with Adley at the top of the lineup as well um, at their full force, which isn't something we've seen over the first two games. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, and I think we will probably see Adam Frazier at second base, who, again, you know, you can Smart talk guy. about the advantages between Jordan Westberg and Adam Frazier, but we have seen Adam Frazier come up in a lot, a lot of clutch spots for the Orioles this season. Just always seems to come up with a big hit. An unsung and hero. He did it against Tampa. Hopefully he will do it again tonight. Yep. And, and I do think the Orioles lineup as a whole against right-handed pitching, I feel a little bit more confident in than their left left-handed lineup yeah i think that's true probably for a lot of lineups around the league yeah um just because with that being the pitcher you face more often teams build their lineups to to attack those pitchers uh better so um yeah i agree i think that the offense just in my mind going into this game i feel more confident that they'll put runs up on the board the orioles of course drop two games here at home at camden yards no reason to say the rangers won't do that at home yeah true True. I don't think many people in baseball thought that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, because baseball, one, is unpredictable, but two, uh, I guess anything can happen. You yeah. know, anybody can win on any given day. It doesn't matter uh, what the statistics are, whatever. It doesn't matter who had more wins. Anybody can win any given day. So you really can't count the, the Orioles out if there's anybody out there doing that because, like you said, they can, as easily as the Rangers did, march in uh, to the opponent's home field and take two games, and then you'll have one back here at Camden. So uh, I think it's entirely possible that uh, they win two here. Yeah, uh, Express Sports on YouTube commenting along saying, you know, will we see Heston or Ryan Mountcastle in this lineup? I'm interested to see how left-handed heavy Brandon Hyde goes because there is a possibility that you could take Ryan Mountcastle completely out of the lineup tonight if you wanted to just go barrage of lefties. I feel like that'd be overcorrecting. It, it could be. It like, certainly could be. You, I mean, baseball is a sport in which decisions are deemed smart or not smart after the fact, yeah. you know? So if Hyde went lefty heavy and it worked, it's one of the most genius things a, line, a manager has ever done. If it doesn't, um, you know, it's not. So um, I think that you got to think about it like what is this lineup's best shot to win? And is, yeah. is it throwing a Heston Kerstad in the lineup who just doesn't have a ton of MLB experience, let alone any MLB playoff experience. What has he played? Like 10 games? He's got like 35 at bat. I, I love Heston Kirsten. So do I. I think he I has just a don't very he bright has a place future. In this but I would be surprised if he is in this lineup over somebody like Ryan Malkas. So I, I understand say, the splits. I will say in an elimination game, 
midway through, if there's an outfielder not performing, I could see him being like, all right, Heston, get in. Yeah. We need we need fresh blood in the lineup right now. Ryan Mountcastle has an OPS over 1,000 against lefties and an OPS of 640 against right-handed pitching. Those are pretty yes. drastic splits. They are. So I would understand if we didn't see Ryan Mountcastle in this lineup, but I think more than likely it's Ryan Mountcastle at first base with Ryan O'Hearn as your designated hitter. Which, again, though, it's going to be very interesting to see how Brandon Hyde constructs this lineup because if O'Hearn is your DH with Mountcastle at first base, that puts Anthony Santander in right field. You know Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes are more than likely going to be in the lineup. It's possible that Austin Hayes isn't starting because you don't have the left field at Camden Yards where you need basically another center fielder guarding that spot. Austin Hayes had three hits in the game. He did. In game two. So I would be surprised if Austin Hayes isn't in that lineup. However, that construction with O'Hearn at designated hitter, Santander in right field, and Mountcastle at first base leaves out probably your best hitter of this series so far in Aaron Hicks. Well, I was just about to say I want to throw two names at you yeah. just so we can run through everything. One is Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Like you said, probably the best hitter of the series so far. Five RBIs in game yeah. two. So yeah. I could see maybe they throw Hicks at DH O'Hearn at first or something like that uh, just to play the splits and play the hot hand. Yeah. The other name I want to throw at you is the man who went four for four last night, Jorge Mateo. Yeah. Do you think about that? Obviously, the knee jerk is absolutely not. You're not going to play Jorge Mateo against a righty. It makes no sense. Guy's hot right now. Yeah, that's tough. I I think for me, Jorge Mateo probably stays on the bench, at least to start this game, not because you don't want to ride the hot hand, but Jorge Mateo has been swinging a good bat against left-handed pitching this year, and I think... Starting him against Nathan Avaldi would be a little bit too much of riding the hot hand. It could I, definitely... I would understand it, but the splits against right-handed pitching for Jorge Mateo do not inspire a ton of confidence in the starting line. It could be one of those decisions you make that you think is the smartest thing you've ever done, and yeah. then three innings in, you're like, I can't believe. And there is, you know, you know we, we've, I feel like this always comes up during the playoffs, but there is such a delicate balance between playing the numbers and just what your eyeballs are telling you. Yes. And, of course, the eye test would say Jorge Mateo was awesome in game two, goes four for four, was a spark plug at the bottom of the lineup. Maybe you play him again, but with Nathan Avaldi on the mound, a hard-throwing right-hander. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just throwing the names out just to think about it. The one that's interesting to me is Aaron Hicks. Yes. Because Aaron Hicks, of course, a switch hitter. Hit it from the left side of the plate. Hitting from the left side of the plate, where, again, he tends to have a little bit he more He hit the power. homer from the left side of the plate. Right. So... Aaron Hicks is intriguing to me because I wouldn't be shocked if one of two things happens. One, Ryan Mountcastle isn't in the starting lineup with Ryan O'Hearn at first base, Anthony Santander DHing, and Aaron Hicks playing right field. I think that's a possibility. Or option two, Austin Hayes isn't in the lineup with Ryan Mountcastle at first base. Ryan O'Hearn as their designated hitter, Santander in right, and Aaron Hicks in left. I think those are two possibilities to get Aaron Hicks in this lineup. Yeah. I don't know if they'll do that, but... I I don't know if they will either, because I think Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes have both played well enough this season and in this series. I feel like you can't take Hayes out of the lineup. 
I just feel like he can. Yeah. Uh, and Mount Castle's tough because you don't want to because you know what his bat can do, but the splits just tell you he just doesn't hit righties, you know? So it's it's difficult. And the other name, I, well, the other thing is Ramon Urias is playing third base, right? More than likely. Ramon Urias. splits guy, hits yes. better against righties, plays gold glove defense. He's playing third base. Yeah, I would be, I would be surprised if Ramon Urias is not playing third base with Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. And I think Adam Frazier is at second base. I don't think those things are entirely up for debate. Aaron Hicks, again, too, important to point out that while he is a switch hitter, he does have a 970 OPS this season against lefties, hitting as a right-hander, and a 663 OPS wow. against How righties, at -bats hitting against as a left hitter. Uh, 63 at-bats against left-handed hitters, 206 against okay. right-handed hitters. So it's not a Right-handed pitchers, so excuse me. Gotcha. So, again... That would be a just trusting the process of a left-hander versus a right-hander kind of thing if you are taking out a Ryan Mountcastle or an Austin Hayes in favor of somebody like Aaron Hicks and just hoping that things correct a little bit more to his career averages where he has a 702 OPS against right-handed pitching and a 758 OPS against left-handed pitching. Still a little bit better as a right-handed hitter, but has been better in his career as a lefty than he has been this season. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm just saying I would understand it if you were trying to ride the hot hand. Yes. I, we're talking about this, but more than likely they'll just throw up, <laughs> throw out exactly what yeah. the first thought was. And then if you're listening to this show <laughs> in like four hours and the lineup is already out, we sound stupid. But <laughs> let's talk keys to the game, lineup construction aside. First key is just... Take the pitching from game one. Take the offense from game two. Put them together. <laughs> you win the baseball game. Yeah, that, that's that's, that's my key. To the, just play. You need a complete game from both sides. Uh, the pitching was excellent in game one. I know Kyle Bradish didn't go maybe as deep as you wanted him to, but the bullpen was awesome. You held this high-powered Texas Rangers offense to three runs, but you only scored two. And then in game two, the offense was awesome. Eight runs, 14 hits. That's going to win you a lot of baseball games, except when the pitching doesn't hold up its end of the bargain and gives up 11 runs. Which has been so rare this year. Put the good parts of those two things together, boom, baseball game. Win. <laughs> baseball game win. Easy. It's as easy as that. Yes. Uh, my first key for this one is that Dean's got a duel of Aldi. I mean, he yeah. has to give you a good start, and he's got to go... At least a little bit deep. He's got to be mean the Dean inning. the pitching machine. He does. He has to yeah. get through the fifth inning. Yeah. I mean, Bradish didn't get through the fifth inning. Neither did Grayson. You, they need a pitcher to get through the fifth inning and just give the offense a chance to ride something uh, and work with a lead for a little bit if they can get one. Uh, so my first key to this game is that Mean Dean has to go out there and pitch incredibly well. Which yeah, is that like, was... Obviously, you'd want that, but they haven't had it. They need it. Yeah, and that was my one of my keys as well is Dean Kramer gives you five innings. Yes. You feel really good about where you are in that game. My second key, it's not really a key. It's just show the fight that you have shown all year. We got a comment on YouTube. Thanks for following along live with us here. Comment on YouTube saying, if anybody is going to string off three wins in a row to come back in an ALDS, it is going to be the 2023 Baltimore Orioles. True. And I think that is hitting the nail on the head there. The Orioles have done this all season long, again, on a game-to-game -game basis, they do it. And this is a team that I think they were way over their... Fangraphs has like an expected wins 
metric. They were way over that based on game situations because they fight. Yeah, I mean, they fought in game one. They were right in that game. And game two, you give up nine runs in the first three innings and lose that ball game by three runs. Yes. The Orioles fought until the very end. Aaron Hicks with a three-run homer in the Guys ninth got inning on base. to pull that game within three. The Orioles did not stop fighting in game two, and they are not going to stop fighting now. This is a young team. This is a hungry team, and I expect them to put up a whale of a fight in game three. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, my only other key is that you've got to show some of the Orioles' magic that we've seen, which I think is a lot very yeah. similar to what you just said. Yeah. Um, you need the guys to have the clutch hits, the random bullpen arms that at one time were random, the Yenya Canoes of the world, and Danny Coulombs came out, and they played incredibly well. Those guys need to return to form uh, and just be locked down and have all the confidence in the world in them. You just need everybody to be firing at all cylinders and have the guys in the bottom of the lineup, like we said last game the guys in the bottom of the lineup who are oftentimes unsung heroes like the adam frazier's and ramon urias's those guys need to come up clutch it's all hands on deck for a game like this yeah. everybody needs to be fighting playing every single at bat every single pitch um and like you said and like that youtube commenter said if any team's gonna be able to pull that off it's these orioles yeah and they just haven't been playing like the team that we have seen for 162 games in the first two games of this ALDS. Yep. It's as simple as that. They just need to play like the team that they were this year. I've got two more keys. One of them is, I mentioned it off the top, let's get Cedric Mullins going. Yep. And let's get Adley Rutschman going. Cedric Mullins, again, he, he has been hitting a little bit frustrated over the last few weeks of the season here, has not performed offensively like the Cedric Mullins that we are used to seeing over the last few years here. He is one of the leaders on this team, and I think it's underrated. It's not going to show up in a stat sheet where if the rest of the Orioles lineup is looking at one of their leaders in Cedric Mullins, and, and he is as visibly frustrated, rightfully so, as he has been, that's tough to, to see one of your leaders kind of go through those struggles a little bit. But if Cedric Mullins is able to turn things around here and has a big game three and turns into a spark plug towards the bottom of the lineup here, I think that's huge because Cedric Mullins, he's not going anywhere. Yes. He's not going to be out of the starting lineup. He is way too good in center field and his upside at the plate is way too high. So Cedric Mullins is going to be in the lineup day in and day out. And if he can turn things around here, I think that would be a massive, massive boost, not just for literally the play on the field, but just for the Orioles to be able to look at their leader and see somebody who is really turning a corner. And I think that just gets the team going. Yes. Uh, I as Similar to the ace of a staff putting out a really good performance to get everybody else uh, reared and ready to go, I feel like the leader of a lineup, or one of the leaders of a lineup, which Cedric Mullen is one of, Cedric Mullins is one of, if he goes out there and he has a great game, he breaks out of this slump, that gets everybody else fired up. Yeah. So if he can break out of it, I think you're right in thinking that the rest of the lineup will follow him uh, and will continue to play as well as he could. Same thing goes for Adley Rutschman. We know that he is one of the leaders on this team in this clubhouse. He's one for eight so far with a walk. Yeah. 
you expect Adley Rutschman to turn it around. Yeah, was a double, was a good hit. You expect Adley Rutschman to turn things around. You really hope he does it in game three. Because, yeah. again, if Adley Rutschman and Cedric Mullins are hitting well, those are the two leaders in the lineup, them and Gunnar Henderson, that you can kind of look at day in and day out and expect those guys to produce. Mm-hmm. And so getting Cedric Mullins and Adley Rutschman going would be huge. Yep. My final key to this, this game. full of keys. I have a lot of keys. He's a locksmith. I mentioned before game two, who is going to be a spark plug at the bottom of the lineup? And a lot of guys were. I mean, Aaron Hicks with five RBIs. Jorge Mateo went four for four. Keep that rolling. I think that was really the key to the offense in game two. You had guys at the bottom of the lineup that were consistently getting on base. You're able to turn the lineup over to get it to guys like Gunnar Henderson, who had a really nice game. Austin Hayes, who had a really nice game. If the bottom of the lineup can continue to get on base, turn things over to the top of the lineup, who can drive those guys in, we saw it in game two. That's the key to a good offense. Yes. Um, Honestly, all of these keys go back to your first one. Which is, you played well on the mound in the first game. You take this. You hit you really well that. in the second one. Pop it together. Yeah. Uh, and just play a good baseball game. Yeah. Well, we will see what the Orioles are able to do tonight on the brink of elimination. But again, we've said it a few times on this show. We will say it again. If there is one team that is capable of coming back in this series, of winning three straight of surprising the baseball world, it is the Baltimore Orioles. They have been surprising the baseball world for the entire 2023 season, and we wouldn't be surprised if it happens here. This is the identity of this Orioles team. Their back is against the wall, and we'll see what they can do tonight as the Orioles face the Texas Rangers. Make sure you are tuning in to O's Extra Pregame one hour before first pitch. Melanie Newman and Dave Johnson on O's Extra Pregame for O's Extra Postseason. We'll have you covered, breaking down everything you need to know for Game 3. Thanks so much for following along with us live on YouTube and Facebook. If you weren't with us live, you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or your digital shows. You can find The Bird's Nest. Thank you so much for following along throughout the Orioles postseason. We hope it keeps rolling here for Game 3 as the Orioles face the Rangers down in Texas in the ALDS. For Matt Bonaparte, I am Brendan Mortensen. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes. We'll catch you next time.